I Think Therefore I Fan podcast is generously supported by our listeners. If you would like to support I Think Therefore I Fan, go to our webpage, that's IThinkThereforeIFan.com, all one word, click on the link that says Donate, and follow the instructions. Your support is greatly appreciated. Spoiler warning time. In this episode, we discuss, spoiler alert, it's a book about the philosophy of spoilers, The Mousetrap, Psycho, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Harry Potter and the Transformer, Black Mirror, Murder on the Orient Express, Westworld, Ma, Dark Phoenix, Game of Thrones, Aladdin, Endgame, Chernobyl, Brightburn, and Arrested Development. You've been warned. Hello, everyone, and welcome to I Think, Therefore I Fan, a pop culture and philosophy podcast. On this podcast, we'll explore the most compelling philosophical themes as we find them in all of everyone's favorite fandoms. We are your hosts. I'm Dr. Richard Green. And I'm Dr. Rachel Robison Green. Thanks for joining us. Welcome. All right, so well, we're we're back um, after four episodes from the Pop Culture Association, where we interviewed folks there, um, and now we'll be having our, our regular format again, right? So, those parts of the program that um, we we've, we've jettisoned temporarily, the listener musings and the what we're liking, are all back, and this is the final episode of season three. So it's it's been great. Um, if you liked the episodes from the Pop Culture Association, uh, Richard and I are headed to Hawaii Con in the fall in September um, and might do some interviews there if we can line some folks up. So uh, that sounds like a lot of fun. It's an academic conference that's held in conjunction with a, a con. Right, so, right. The, the Science Fiction and Popular Cultures Con. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's a... Looks like a, a fun group of people. There's going to be Geemly from Lord of the Rings there. Yeah, that's who we're probably going to interview. We haven't talked to him yeah, yet. Yeah, we're banking on that one. But, but, but we have a feeling. Maybe, maybe he'll be in the panel in our academic session, and we can just casually mention it. Yeah, speaking of cons, <laughs> there was a, a little micro-con um, in Ogden, um, which is near where we live. We went to that last week, and that yeah. was a lot that of fun. That was really fun, yeah. Uh, I'd, really, I'd certainly like to see that grow and really take off. Um, it wasn't as well attended as, as I think everyone had hoped, but um, it could grow into something great. Yeah, so. good, good, good first effort for yeah. the, the Ogden yeah. MCON folks. Yeah. All right, so this week we're going to be talking about... Spoilers! Spoilers, right. Um, a couple of announcements before we do that, though. Um, one, we've, we've added something. This was at the request of our, our good friend Wade. Um, to our webpage, I think right. for ifan.com, um, we now have a discussion page, so you can navigate to that from the drop-down menus at the top, um, and listeners can go in and comment on you know things that they hear in the episode, philosophical points they want to make, things they want to take issue with, um, all of that. So um, please take advantage of that. Again, if you have a listener musing, um, you can do that there if you like, or through the contact page. But if you just want to. Get in there and say, boy, you guys don't know anything about spoilers or artificial intelligence (laughs) or 
<laughs> you know, the good place or any of this. Um, that's that's the opportunity to do it. So the idea is that we can get discussion going on these topics amongst the, the people that listen to the podcast. Yeah, folks that I've listened to, uh, or sorry, uh, folks that I've talked to who are listeners um, have always have thoughts to share. So I think that'd be, uh, I think that's a great idea. Thanks for that, Wade. Yeah, we'll, we'll expand the discussion. Um, okay, so a couple other things. Um, speaking of spoilers, I'm going to be doing some signings and some readings. So if you're in the um, Ogden, Salt Lake City, Farmington area, on the 22nd at the Barnes & Noble in Layton at noon, I'll be doing a signing. And then on July 27th, I believe it is, I'll, um, we'll put the, the details on our webpage because um, we haven't set the time, but there'll be something at the Grounds for Coffee. And I think that'll be a reading mm-hmm. and, a, um, and a signing. That should be great. So... Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how you got the idea to um, write the spoiler book? Yeah, um, let, let's see if I can figure that out. So it, <laughs> it, it came in, in bits, right? So many years ago, um, we edited a collection on the television show Girls, right? So Girls in Philosophy. And um, I wrote a, a topic or a, a paper there on spoilers. I'm wondering um, in that essay, if girls could be spoiled, right? Because so much of the show is so predictable from mm-hmm. week to week that, that you know, and, and not a whole lot happens. Towards the end of the series, there were you know, a bit of story arcs. But for the most part, it, it was just, you know, Hannah Horvath um, saying outrageous things. And so... <laughs> dressing crazy. Dressing, yeah, the, the outfit. So, you know, if, if you're there going, hmm, you know, telling somebody something that was going to happen on the upcoming episode you would almost certainly be telling them something that they would expect. So that got me sort of, that was the first time I wrote about spoilers and got me thinking about spoilers. Um, and then, you know, spoilers have become such a part of um, contemporary pop culture, right? That you hear the expression spoiler alert about every 30 seconds. Um, and even even more so now. I, this this was a good year for it with um, Game of Thrones and the end Endgame. of in Endgame, the Marvel Cinematic Universe yep. first phase wrapping up, um, and so you know there there are considerably more admonitions about spoiling on the internet, and mm-hmm. um, directors are now Tarantino did this at Cannes, um, you know showing their films for the first time and then admonishing people please don't spoil it, mm-hmm. um, so it, it it seemed timely um, good time to explore some of the issues yeah. so i started thinking about it and there's there's lots of stuff there and we'll more than you'd even think if you've just kind of casually thought about it as you really ex- dive into this issue yeah i did considerably more considerably more than i would have thought mm-hmm. um i pitched the book to our publisher right this book's on open court um, publishing company and um i thought you know there's some things to say i'll, I'll do a nice short book and mm-hmm. They said, no, we don't, we don't do nice short books, so do you want to do a long book? And I started thinking, well, do I want to do um, you know, a, a longer book on spoilers? Is there that much to say? And as I started outlining, um, I eventually realized that, that you know, I was going to have to sort of confine myself to certain things, that the mm-hmm. book would be massive and unwieldy. So um, there were a lot of issues, um, considerably more than I thought um, when, I, when I first started thinking about it. Okay, let's talk about some of those issues. Great. So your your book is divided into four sections, right? So you've got the metaphysics of spoilers, the ethics of spoilers, the pragmatics of spoilers, and then some fun appendixes, right. appendices <laughs> at the end. Right, right. Um, so uh, 
What I I really enjoyed the section on the history of spoilers. Do, is there some of that that you want to share? Sure, sure. I, I don't want to spoil the entire book, but I'll um, hit you with some of the highlights, right? So when I was a kid, um, it seemed like spoiling wasn't a thing, right? It, it was a thing in the sense that people did it, right? Mm-hmm. And in fact, people have been spoiling things for you know, thousands of years. As long as there have been stories. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Someone's always dying to do it. But we didn't have the concept of a spoiler. And in fact, um, you know, if my friends and I would go to the movies on Saturday afternoons. We'd go to the matinee and um, some kids would get to go and some wouldn't. And the ones that, that saw the, the movies would spoil it for the ones who didn't, right? And nobody was upset about it. It was just like, oh man, you wouldn't believe what happened, right? The ghost of Mr. Chicken came out and you know, it turns out, and I won't spoil it for you, cause it's a great movie, but we'd, we'd say, you know, what the big plot twist was, and so forth. Um, so, it, it's interesting to me that we go from a time where, you know, spoiling is, is socially acceptable to what we have now, which is you absolutely can't spoil anything for anyone ever without expecting to incur some kind of wrath, right? Um, public humiliation, or, you know, by stabbing in the chest in one famous case. Um, we talk about this in the book. Um, <clears throat> so the, the history of, of spoilers was interesting to me. So it, it starts with um, maybe Agatha Christie's play The Mousetrap in 1952, right, where at the end of each performance, and, and by the way, this, this still goes on, right? The play's still running in, in lots of places. And um, at the end of each performance, there's this admonition not to reveal the, the ending, right? So we... We've, we first get an instance of this um, with that play, and then not too long after that, 1960, with um, Hitchcock's um, classic Psycho, right? At the end of the movie, it says, please don't reveal the, um, the surprise ending to that. So a little bit later, um, we get the term spoiler for the first time. That's in 1971, right? So Doug Kenny wrote a, a national magazine, magazine um, article entitled Spoilers, where he spoiled the endings to lots of novels and movies um, in, in the interest of being a good Samaritan, right? He wanted to save everybody time, so you don't have to watch all these things. Um, he, he spoiled them for you. Okay, then a little later, right, um, in the mid-90s, we start to hear the term spoiler alert, right? So now it's part of our, our consciousness. Um, a big event happens in 2005. Um, the film critic Roger Ebert writes this article um, admonishing critics to never spoil anything, right? So we'd, um, we'd get this very public discussion about, you know, how bad it is to reveal spoilers. Um, and, you know, from there, it, it takes on sort of a life of its own. I think that the other really big contributing factor is our viewing habits changed, right, in a couple of ways. So we go from... Um, you know, watching things when they appear on TV or when they're in the, the theaters, um, you know, plays during their first run and so forth, to being able to um, TiVo things, right? We had VHSs um, prior to this time, right, the, the mid-2000s, um, but not very many people used them. as a small percentage of the population. But once you have DVR, right, anyone can choose to watch things as they, um, as they desire. Right, and things are um, being released on, on um, DVD and videotape and uh, streaming formats. So, you know, a movie will come out, you might be very excited to see it, and you might think, well, there's a lot of movies I want to see right now. I'm going to wait till this one is on pay per view or it's, it's available for download. Um, 
So you, you get that in combination with the streaming services like Netflix, which will air entire seasons all at once. Um, and that really made it the case that, you know, something could be out. It could be fairly recently out. It could be something people are excited to see and great numbers of people hadn't seen it. Whereas before, you know, if something were on, um, you know, the movie of the week, you know, on Friday night, um, when you went to work on Monday by then, everyone who was going to see it, or almost everyone, already would have. I remember hearing something a couple of years ago that blew my millennial mind. Uh, and, and I do think it's a, the fact that this blew my mind is a product of when I was born and what I'm used to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, somebody said that... Uh, you know, prior to, you know, I grew up in, in an age where I, I had access to uh, listening to whatever music I wanted to listen to, essentially whenever I wanted to listen to it, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so someone had mentioned that, you know, some time ago, maybe I'll just pick 300 years, right? You may hear your favorite song only a handful of times your entire life, mm-hmm. right? And I'm thinking about this with, with like plays and things. There are probably a lot of people who, uh, when it came to the sort of popular inter- entertainment, you might see a Shakespeare play or something that would never have an opportunity to see it. Uh, I'm just wondering. Yeah, and in fact, to that end, there was a time where I believe that more people had learned about the Romeo and Juliet story from seeing the the play West Side Story or the the made for TV <laughs> production of West sure, Side Story that, that yeah. aired than uh-huh. had actually been to a theater, to... right? Um, but uh, you know, hundreds of years ago, plenty of people wouldn't ever have the opportunity to go to a theater, right? right. And so maybe the only way they even he- ever hear what the story is about is to have it spoiled for them. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, spoilers could be good. Although I wonder if if someone just came back and said. There's this play and it's so great and the star-crossed lovers dying in. And by the way, you're never going to see it. If, yeah. How, how good a service that actually mm-hmm. was. Um, but, you know, if, if you wanted to be learned um, and you wanted to know all the plays and you had the opportunity to see a very small subset of them, you probably would ask people, well, what is this this guy in Moliere? What, mm-hmm. I'm hearing a lot about him. What, what happens there? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and so forth. Yeah. So we've, we've come a long way in, in just 50 years regarding spoilers. Okay, well, um, what else do you discuss in the, the metaphysics section? I'm going to ask you like I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you've, you've read the book? Um, uh, once or twice. <laughs> once or twice. Um, I, I appreciate Rachel's support through all this. She, she read every draft um, more times than I did. Um, yeah, so it, it starts off with just attempting to give an account of what spoilers are. And so the, the goal in the book is, um, with, with this part of the book at least, is to strike a kind of reflective equilibrium, meaning I want to get my theory of spoilers um, to line up as, as perfectly as possible with the way people commonly use the term spoiler, right? Mm-hmm. What, what people think counts as a spoiler ought to be what the, the, spoiler, the theory of spoilers captures. And that way we don't end up with a theory of spoilers that you know, includes all sorts of things mm-hmm. that, that no one thinks is a spoiler or fails to exclude things that everyone thinks aren't sort of legitimate spoilers. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, I, I go through a, a number of accounts. I start with the sort of most intuitive account and say it's, you know, when you reveal information about some, some work of entertainment, a book or a movie or something like that. Um, but then that quickly proves to be inadequate, right? I mean, it, it, it's not the case that every reveal 
of information counts mm-hmm. as a spoiler. Okay, so what, how would you carve that up? Okay, so, you know, um, say you haven't seen the last episode of Game of Thrones or something, and I say, oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. It, you know, it, it's got, um, you know, Sansa and Arya and, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've seen the previous one, right? You know that, that something bad hadn't happened to them. That wouldn't count as good information. Or um, suppose they, you know, you're, you're excited about the next season of The Good Place, and I say, Ted Danson's in that, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's information, that's yeah. but that's not going to count as a, um, a spoiler. So it, it turns out that you know, it's got to be some kind of significant information, right? There's got to be something like a, a twist, or it, you know, the information doesn't have to specifically reveal some sort of twist, but... Um, somehow allows someone to deduce some mm-hmm. interesting feature of the story, some plot point, and so forth. Moreover, right, it, it can't be information that's sufficiently old. Um, I think that you know you you can't spoil the Mary Tyler Moore show, right? It's it's had its <laughs> shelf life. It's it sort mm-hmm. of run its course. Um, so we want a spoiler to re- reveal information, um, you know, that, that in some way is, is interesting, shocking. It's not too old. It's determined by context. Um, that, that sounds sort of vague, but a lot's going to hinge on it, right? What counts as old depends on the, the medium, right? If it's a program that's released on Netflix all at once, you know, maybe a, you know, a few weeks later. Um, if it's something that will air on, you know, the FX network, but then be on Netflix in a year, right? Then, it, you know, and most people are going to view it on something like Hulu or Netflix. Mm-hmm. Then, then that period of time would be the determinant for what's too old. Um, and then finally, I wanted to sort of clarify that that there are things that can be spoiled that aren't works of fiction, right? So, certain. Um, um, novels. I, I have the Eric Larson novels in mind that are you know historical novels, but they're they're written in a fiction-esque kind of way. Um, those could certainly be spoiled, um, you know, because a lot of the the story there is not common knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, sports programs can be spoiled, um, you know, the results of ball games. The shelf life is much shorter, but if someone tells you they've TV'd a you know basketball game, they're going to watch it tomorrow night. You know, you can spoil it for them by saying what the results are now. Um, I don't think that all nonfiction can be spoiled, right? You, you can't spoil the news, right? So I, I settle on things that are, that are primarily works of entertainment. Okay, so um, that's the, the basic account of, of what spoilers are. Um, and then I, I talk about um, things that can never be spoiled. And I think we can discuss this later because I, I give mm-hmm. my list in the appendices of the 30 greatest spoilers. Um, and then just pick up a handful of other issues. Um, I've got a chapter on vagueness, right? There's there's sort of a lively debate on the internet about whether um, you know vague spoilers count as spoilers, um, and I, I think they do. I, I remember when um, Infinity War came out, right right before I saw it, you know, people on um, Facebook were posting things like, "Oh my God, the first ten minutes," you know, and and right then and there you knew something was going to happen. That for me was pretty vague, but counted as a, as a spoiler. So um, that's the gist of the first section, although there's an awful lot of detail in there as well.
So one interesting thing that we did this week uh, that, that turned out to be really fun was that we were the guests on a podcast, a KSL podcast called Voices of Reason. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, so something that was fun and interesting about that was uh, that the host, uh, Jason, seemed to just to really not care very much about spoilers. I mean, we've encountered this a lot in our conversations with people. And I don't mean that they don't find spoilers interesting. I mean that they don't care about spoilers in the sense that they don't care if things are spoiled for them. Right, doesn't bother them at all. And the p- producer of the show was like way on the other side. Um, right, right. Gets intensely upset about spoilers. Um, so I, I, what do you, what's your take on if spoilers are bad and why and when they're bad? Yeah, okay, great. Um, so I tend to think that, that spoilers um, generally are bad when people have a kind of investment in it, right? Mm-hmm. So there's this interesting social science research that came out um, seven or eight years ago. And they, they did a study where they had people read short stories. And these were all stories that people weren't terribly invested in. Um, mm-hmm. And they, you know, it was a big project, so they you know, had plenty of subjects and so forth. And some of the things were spoiled and some of them weren't. And they had people report their reactions to them. And it turns out that just slightly, um, those people that had had things spoiled for them at the beginning of the stories enjoyed the stories more, right? And the idea is that, you know, you know what's coming, so you look for it, you attend to the plots, you become more engaged and and all of that. So one takeaway from that is spoiling per se can't be bad, right? It, Mm -hmm. It can't just be, you know, you know a spoiler, so there's some badness there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, people you know have very strong reactions to spoilers. Um, you know, they, they they get terribly upset by them. They're, they're they're outraged. So either we have to draw the conclusion that you know this whole phenomenon of people being bothered by spoilers is is just basically people being nuts, not knowing <laughs> what's good for them, right? Yeah. Um, or um, there's more to the story than came out in the research. And so I, I think that the right thing is is that. You know, people are terribly bothered by spoilers when they have a kind of investment in the works mm-hmm. that, um, you know, wasn't there with the people that had the short story spoiled for them, mm-hmm. right? So it's a very different thing to read a story you weren't planning on reading, knowing a little bit more information and, and having a take on it, and say being, you know, a fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and have somebody tell you on your way into Endgame what happens at various points or what the payoff is um, and so forth. So I, I think that's, that's morally relevant. Um, in the book, I don't, I don't want to give, again, too much of it away, but the way I attempt to cash it out involves sort of interesting parallels with the philosophical literature on the badness of death, right? You don't mm-hmm. experience your own death, right? This is assuming no afterlife and so forth. Um, so if, if death is bad, it's, it's not, you know, if, if you don't exist when you're dead and, and you view that as a bad thing, it, it can't just be what you're experiencing when mm-hmm. you die, right? So it gets cashed out in different ways. Um, so I look at, at views that talk about, you know, it's, um, and all of these can apply to spoilers. They might be different for different people. But, uh, you know, some of the badness of having something spoiled um, involves having desires frustrated, the desire to watch this thing in the cinema all at once and, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, you know, for the first time. Um, it might be what you're deprived of. You're deprived of a certain kind of viewing experience. 
that you can't get back. You can watch something over and over again, but you never get back that, mm -hmm. you know, seeing it or experiencing it for the first time. And then there's a host of other ways in which spoilers can be bad as well. Um, so you mentioned the, the podcast and you've, you've got the one guy that's just you know, furious about spoilers and the other guy that doesn't mind them at all. Um, what, what do you think? Do, do you think we're reacting too strongly society-wise to spoilers? or um, what's, your, what's your personal reaction as well? Yeah, I guess my personal reaction is, uh, you know, I don't like to have things spoiled. Uh, mm -hmm. but, but I, I mean, I do think maybe people make too big of a deal out of it. I mean, mm -hmm. I, 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 one thing, and you can tell us if you say things in your book about this, but it strikes me as being a very, uh, well, a first world problem, right? <laughs> like, like, uh, I, I would be shocked if, you know, you went to another uh, country, uh, like say a country in Africa, uh, I, I'm guessing that a lot of people there, they would just scratch their head yeah, that, that, at being so worked up about this kind of thing. That was my experience. So talking uh -huh. to people when I was traveling in Ghana last year because I was mm -hmm. writing the book while I was there, part of it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, they don't they don't mind at all. It's just it's yeah. you know to some extent a cultural phenomenon. Right, and it's like um, this is a serious harm because we've stipulated that it's a serious harm. Right, right. <laughs> right? That yeah, I think that's that's some part of the story, right? Um, if, if you tell people that they're they have the right to get worked up about something, mm -hmm. um, given the opportunity, many people will. Right. right? Um, um, regardless of the degree to which they're actually harmed by, by any mm -hmm. particular thing. Yeah, and um, it can even be stuff that you know. So we talk about the Marvel movies and the you know Game of Thrones ending and. Star Wars movies, but, um, you know, people will get upset if they feel like um, you've spoiled something really marginal for them, right? Mm -hmm. You know, there's a yeah. new Hugh Grant movie or something, yeah. and you tell people what's going to yeah. happen. It's like, no, spoilers. It's right. like, but you don't care, right? You're right. not invested right. in it, yeah. so. I mean, I have one, one uh, time that I got really upset about a spoiler was I was, well, we, we were reading the Harry Potter books to Henry, our, mm -hmm. our son, Henry. And uh, someone showed him um, the movie. It would have been... Um, the fifth one, I think. Yeah, uh-huh. And uh, but before we'd read it, and there's a major character death in that book, right? And so, uh, so he experienced that through the movie first before we'd gotten there in the books, and I was mm -hmm. really mad. And, and yeah, and, Hen <laughs> and Henry was very invested in the books and probably yeah. invested in the movies as well, but... He missed mm -hmm. that really big moment yeah, in yeah. the book, and I think he was more invested. Right. All right, so what, what about this? Suppose that there were a mashup of Harry Potter and the Transformers, and somebody informed you that Snape killed Bumblebee. Would, would that be bad? <laughs> Snape killed Bumblebee. Once Transformers are involved, I don't care anymore. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> where I'm sort of going with this, this kind of marginal uh -huh. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Some people love Transformers. I, uh, okay, full disclosure, I... I'm actually not sure if I've ever seen a Transformers movie. Maybe they're great. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I get that jingle stuck in my head, the robots in disguise from oh, yeah. my childhood, and that's that's about all of my exposure to <laughs> to the Transformers. Um, I would want Snape to kill Bumblebee. I think Bumblebee's a good guy. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> so do you think it's ever okay to spoil or maybe even a good thing to spoil something for someone oh yeah yeah i've got a chapter in the book where i talk about this um so there's there's a variety of cases where i think one might actually be morally obligated to spoil right 
Um, it wouldn't be a philosophical treatise if there weren't some ridiculous, you know, ticking time bomb under the city. <laughs> okay. you, know, you, you, you know, if you don't spoil, um, you know, the end of the Harry Potter series, you know, the entire planet's going to be blown up, right? So those kinds of cases, although they're, they're, they tend to not be real. Um, <laughs> but, but real life cases, um, you know, you, you might know somebody that's really triggered by certain things, right? So suppose, you know, they're going to see a, a movie about a dog and you know, it's old yellow or something and, um, you know, the dog dies in the end and, and you know this is going to terribly upset them, mm-hmm. right? Um, you might say, eh, I don't know if you want to see this. And they'll say, no, it looks pretty good. And at that point, you know, depending on how severe you believe their reaction might be and how close you are to the person, you might say, mm, okay, there's, yeah. yeah, this is... There's an animal death or something, right? And yeah, I'm thinking our, our friend Joe. Uh, there, there are some kinds of movies that he doesn't like, mm-hmm. that, you know, with certain elements that they, I think he would just prefer not to watch rather than encountering those elements. So maybe a good thing to say. Yeah, yeah. Or there's a, a, a case with your mom um, where she was saying, oh, I've heard good things about this Black Mirror, right? And we both instantly thought... Don't watch the first episode. Don't watch the first episode. We, didn't, we managed to do this without spoiling it. But if yeah. she was bound and determined, yeah. we yeah. may have to, right. to provide even more information yeah. there. Yeah. So you have a chapter on the paradoxes of spoilers, and you've identified more than one. Yeah, so um, there's, a, there's a couple of paradoxes in the, um, in the chapter that I discuss. Could you maybe say something about what a paradox is? Yeah, so in, in this case, what makes something paradoxical is that, you know, one way of looking at um, spoilers or what you want to say about spoilers leads to a particular result, um, but a different way, you know, perhaps equally legitimate, leads to the opposite result. So okay. on the one hand, we have a, a reason for thinking that something is the case, and on the other hand, we have a reason for thinking, you know, precisely that that's not the case. Okay. Um, and so, of course, the, the, the trick is to sort of tell a story that captures all the correct intuitions or show that, that some of the intuitions are just wrong. So the, the first one I call the multiple engagement paradox. And it's, it's basically this, right? If, if spoiling is, is bad, um, then we would expect um, pleasure to be diminished on works where one knows the spoiler, the, the, the plot twist or the trick or whatever it is. Um, you know, the surprise ending. Um, on the other hand, there, there are certain things. So the example that I always give, because it, it's true of both you and I, is there was a, a weird period of our lives where we seemed to do nothing but watch Murder on the Orient Express. You were off at grad school and you had it. And Hopefully I, I did a little more than watch Murder on the Orient Express in grad school. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. We'll, we'll, we'll see. If, if, you, um, if you get your degree, then, then you did good. Oh, you did get your degree. Great. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's a good example because it it's something with a surprise ending, right? It, um, you know, it, a lot of that story hinges on one big reveal. And yet there we were watching the 1974 version with Albert Finney over and over and over and seemingly um, without any drop in enjoyment, right? So that needs to be cashed out. And again, I don't, I don't want to give it away. So, you know, read the, the book and see if you like um, the payoff. But um, the, the trick was to find sort of other things about that, um, that that made it enjoyable, you know, such that, um, you know, all the other things kind of swamp whatever you lose by being familiar with the spoiler. 
Um, related to this is the, the question, um, you know, since that's a, a remake, um, or that there was a remake of it, um, can remakes be spoiled? And I, and I bring this up only to um, relive one of my um, sort of great moments of professional shame. So that the first time that, that you and I presented at a Comic-Con, we were talking about spoilers, and I was giving my list of the greatest, um, you know, spoilers, the, the, the shows that can't be spoiled no matter what, um, and telling what the spoiler was, right, because that was, that was part of the discussion. And people seem to be on board, so I'm saying stuff about Psycho and Star mm -hmm. Wars and everything's mm -hmm. great. Um, and this talk, um, or this presentation, took place about two months before the remake of Murder on the Orient Express was about to come out, and I told that ending, and then the audience was furious. I, you know, mm -hmm. Someone yelled, oh, come on, and mm -hmm. you know, they, they, they were mad as if I had spoiled the, the movie for them. Um, I seem to remember that they were throwing tomatoes and rotten fruit and... Some people went to get a rail to tie me to and take me <laughs> to the outskirts of town and leave me in a heap and so forth. Um, so, you know, you, you wonder, was I able to spoil the remake? I hadn't seen the remake. Um, it, hadn't, mm. it wasn't out yet. So on the one hand, you know, I, I told what turned out to be the ending of it. Um, on the other hand, I wasn't in a position to know that the remake was going to follow the original. So right. there's, there's kind of a bit of a paradox there. How can I spoil this thing where, you know, no one in the room legitimately knew if it was going to be the same as the old one? Um, and then in some cases, we're obvious. If there's a remake of Romeo and Juliet, you know what's going to happen. And Johnny Depp, by the way, has a track record of participating in, and I think this is a bad thing for his career, honestly, participating in remakes that are not true to the original. The, so, you know, I'm thinking Willy Wonka. Right. Um, I'm thinking... Uh, Dark Shadows. I was, that's what I was about to say. Dark, didn't resemble... Dark Shadows. I mean, I, that, that's maybe the one that I was most disappointed didn't resemble the original. Mm -hmm. We kind of... We were nuts over Dark Shadows. Both the older version and the 90s that, that remake 90s were really thing that, fun. Yeah, that I think everybody hated but us. But we, oh, we, just, it just, we just loved it. Great kind of gothic horror cheesiness. But the... Yeah, I, th I thought the, the movie was horrid. Yeah, so I spend a little time talking about, you know, can you legitimately spoil a remake... Mm -hmm. um, and then also, what effect does that have on the original? Does it because the new one's coming out? Does that mean you can't talk about the original, right? Mm -hmm. um, okay, so the the second um, paradox I consider um, is also pretty fun because it has to do with the famous Westworld rickrolling event. Okay. Um, so the the producers and, and showrunners of Westworld, right before season two started, went on Reddit with this incredible ruse. They said. You know, you guys are going to speculate about everything in the that's going to happen in season two. Some of you are going to get it right. Um, you know, we'd, we'd just as soon not have this kind of conversation out there because then people go, oh, yeah, I already heard what it was. Um, even if they didn't sort of legitimately know, you know, which of those fan theories was going to turn out to be true. So they did a um, ask me anything and they made an offer. They said, you know, if you can get so many people to sign this petition, you know, I think it was 10,000 or 50,000 um, or to click like on this proposal, they'll just produce um, a little video with all the season two spoilers that can tell everybody in advance on the condition that they not not reveal them. So, you know, 100,000 people signed this thing, you know, within a couple of hours um, and they, they showed it. 
right? And so um, this is paradoxical because people hate spoilers on the one hand. On the other hand, they tuned in to see an entire season worth of spoilers right about, you know, just days or weeks mm-hmm. before the season was about to air. So if people hate spoilers, why were they so interested in that? So one thing you have to sort of grapple with is that, you know, if spoilers are bad and people don't like spoilers. Why were people willing to go there and have them? Um, what, what made it a great event um, is that they didn't reveal any spoilers at all. They showed the trailer that they've been showing all along. Um, then you go into the town of, of Sweetwater and there's the character Dolores and she's sitting on a piano and then she sings um, Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up in a really <laughs> slow, melodramatic way. And then there's 25 minutes of a, a dog sitting in front of a player piano looking like it's playing. <laughs> so they, they, they got the, the Reddit crowd pretty good. Um, but it, it, it did raise questions, right? So I, I talk a little bit about why. Um, you know, people don't want to know spoilers um, at Christmas time, but some people's curiosity gets the best of them and they peek at their presents or they beg mm-hmm. their parents. And, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, it's, it's not indicative of the fact that, that um, spoilers don't make people upset. It's just indicative of the fact that some people Can't suffer from yeah, great weakness of will. Yeah. So a lack of um, willpower. Based on the reviews, it seems like people are liking the appendices a lot. Yeah, that, that was a, a fun part of the book. Um, so I've got three appendices at the end. So the, the first one is the greatest, um, the 30 greatest spoilers. Um, so this is my Mount Olympus of things that, that should not be spoiled. And I, yeah, I don't want to reveal the whole list, but um, some of the things that you'd expect to be on that list are there. Um, Psycho, um, something from The Empire Strikes Back, something from Planet of the Apes. Um, but notably missing is something that everybody thinks is on this list, but I argue in the book shouldn't be, and that is um, the, the, what's taken to be the big spoiler from Citizen Kane. So I, I give an argument for why I, I leave it off the list. Um, the second appendix is um, people telling their spoiler horror stories. So I, I you know, solicited these from a variety of places over a long period of time. I talked to some students, some people I know, um, put some stuff out on the internet um, when we presented at Comic-Cons. Um, and this is basically a collection of, of people telling interesting stories about the time something was spoiled for them and it, um, it upset them greatly, right? So the unique circumstances, um, the great lengths sometimes they went to to not have things spoiled, only to have mm-hmm. their efforts confounded, um, that sort of thing. And then the final one's my favorite. It's the 100 Greatest Philosophical Spoilers. So I've, I've taken, you know, the, the 100 philosophers that I like the best or I think are the most important or some combination thereof um, throughout history and boiled them down to a one-liner. Um, my, my favorite from that is Rousseau, right? Rousseau famously argued that... Um, children should not be educated. So I, I call his philosophy, every child left behind. <laughs> I like that one too. And that, it was, that was a ton of fun to write. If, if you remember, you were working on a project. We were um, about to start a vacation and we were in a, a hotel room and we were just writing for 10 or 12 hours. And um, so you worked on your thing and I worked on that list and, mm-hmm. and it was great. It just came out very nice. Yes. Uh, some I like. 
You have Kierkegaard saying, might as well jump. Yeah, might as well jump. Kierkegaard was a big Van Halen fan um, <laughs> back in the day. And Mark saying religion is totally dope. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what he thought about religion. It's a fun list. Okay, Rates, what are we liking this week? Well, we watched the new episodes of Black Mirror. Yeah, so... And I would say that's kind of mixed. Uh, and it's, it's odd for me to give a mixed review for Black Mirror because I think it's one of the best shows out there. Um, but I thought that the, they, they just released the three episodes mm-hmm. and I thought the last one was really bad, like by far and away the worst episode of Black Mirror. Yeah, I agree. Um, the reviews on this season aren't good and I think it's largely because of that episode. Yeah, right? the other, I think it's gotta be because the, the other, other two are really smart and uh, just fine. And I mean, I actually thought the first one was fantastic. Yeah. So what, which was that? Not the title, but the, the main storyline. Um, that the friend gives the other friend a virtual video game. Oh, yeah, yeah, right, great. Yeah, a nice, a nice little Black Mirror love story. So um, the list of things we're liking is long because we haven't done this segment in um, you know, four episodes because we've been doing mm-hmm. the interviews from the, the Pop Culture Association. Um, so maybe we just hit sort of briefly on, on some of the things. Um, we saw Ma recently, and, and that was a lot of fun. Um, it was fun. I remember I liked it more than you did. Yeah, I, I, I liked it plenty, and in retrospect, I liked it more than I did as I was watching it, just because there were a couple times where I thought it, it needs to get moving. Um, Dark Phoenix, which everybody doesn't like but me, um, maybe you and... I liked it. And Han. Yeah, I thought I thought that was that was a, a great story. Um, Sophie Turner was, was fantastic in it. Um, another area where we're slightly different from the others... The, um, you know, the wrap-up of Game of Thrones occurred when we were on this hiatus from this segment. Um, and that, you know, everyone's familiar with the beating that that took. I, yeah, I don't get the beating, honestly. I, I the Danny storyline, I think, was pretty consistent with what they've been doing the whole time. I didn't think it represented a big departure from what they've done with her. I mean, I think all the signs were there. <laughs> I, I, I also think that it was kind of ultimately about totalitarianism and how you know dictators can be seductive and that you could just find yourself in that situation all of a sudden Mm -hmm. um at least with that with that particular storyline and uh i mean the only thing that i felt like maybe should have and could have been different is that they should have slow they it shouldn't have been such a short season they should have slow played the stuff with the Night King, because that was a fantastic episode, that big battle, and it was beautifully done. But I thought uh, you were left kind of going, well, what was even the deal with that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like, they didn't really d- to unpack. But it could honestly be that I just don't remember the other seasons well enough and that they have... You, you made this point in private conversation that they... Maybe they did explain it more than I mm-hmm. think they did, and I just can't remember because the seasons are so far apart. Right, yeah. I, I agree with most of what you're saying, and um, the... The standard criticism of the writing not being good, I don't buy. I don't either. Um, I do agree with the criticism that they rest it. But especially in, in dealing with the Night King and the White Walkers and the Whites, um, you know, it seemed like this was this big threat for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. And all it really took to get rid of it was stick Bran under a tree, right? I mean, they, <laughs> they, you know, Bran, Bran was north. They could have stuck him under a tree at, <laughs> at any number of points. And, and I'm sure, like you say, there's some technicality that, you know, couldn't happen until the 
third autumn after the three-eyed raven had you know <laughs> been a crow for a month or something like that in a prophecy. But that's really flimsy, yeah. right? I mean, mm-hmm. Dengel, Brand, Aria, Stabs, it's, it's all good. Um, Brightburn was fantastic. Um, yeah, that was I, I didn't know what to expect from that. I just heard it was sort of a twist on a Superman story. Yeah, and I mean, so it kind of explores like... Um, well, goodness, the, the Superman story it gets told in this very wholesome way that these these parents who desperately wanted a kid get a kid and they raise it on the, in their sort of uh, charming little farm and it, he becomes Superman. But really, a lot of the elements of that story are, are actually creepy. Like a kid mm-hmm. falls from the sky and they just sort of, you know, that, that can burn things with his eyes and yeah. stuff like that. So uh, it's this fun. Yeah, but that's our baby, you know. We, yeah. We love him. So, yeah, I um, just started watching Chernobyl, so we'll maybe comment on that on a later episode. Um, what are we not liking this week? Maybe that's the, the bigger question, right? We just wrapped up um, the most recent season of Arrested Development, and there's no containing my disappointment. Terrible. Yeah. I just, I, I thought maybe I laughed once or twice, and it was during flashback scenes, like that didn't even star the main cast. I just thought, you know, the performances were good for what they were but the script was just horrid yeah like yeah. and and the storylines were convoluted and stupid yeah <laughs> so yeah yeah and a real lack of Lindsay and you know the online yards okay now it's time for our listener musing uh today's musing comes from doug doug writes The more I learn, the less I know, and honestly, the more confused I get. You innately believe certain things, philosophy says otherwise, then you study a bit more and realize that's not the whole truth, then you realize it was the original idea in the first place, kind of. Basically, my question is, is there any actual answer or worth to philosophy? And further, how can we use the answer? All right, so what do you think? Any, Any value to philosophy? Course, I think yeah, there's well, value to philosophy. Lots of it makes pop culture more interesting right off the bat. <laughs> um, way more, yeah. I mean, you know, there's the the historical perspective on that, right? Mm-hmm. Every good discipline that we have, right? Math, physics, psychology, etc., all trace back to philosophy. Um, most of the government systems that we have, right, the ones that have endured. Um, are grounded in some sort of philosophical thought, whether it you know, be Rawls or Marx or Mill or Hobbes or Locke, any of these people. So philosophy is very impactful, right? And it might not seem like it because of the common conception of somebody sitting on top of a mountain wondering what the meaning of life is. Um, but it's, it's, you know, historically very impactful. Um, but th- there's other parts to this too, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, so uh, there's value at a number of levels. So you might think that philosophy is the search for certain kinds of truths. And that's going to be in the, the case in response to some philosophical questions and not others, right? So um, if you're asking a question like, do we have free will? Presumably, once we all are clear on what it is we're looking for, there's going to be an answer to that question. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and maybe a lot of philosophy's role there is to formulate the question in the right sort of way. Uh, so we know what an adequate answer would look like. Um, but then I think there's the value of like studying philosophy historically, right? Mm-hmm. So um, 
understanding how understanding other people understanding what people in the past have thought about certain questions and how that might contribute to where we are now um learn, just really understanding how people other than you think mm-hmm. right so there's that that kind of historical value to studying past thinkers um but and i also think that um reflecting on big questions helps make an individual's life meaningful right yeah. uh, i mean that that's kind of what makes us makes i don't spend say too much about human value or human uniqueness sometimes humans are pretty awful yeah. um, but, <laughs> right. but but you might think that what you know what's what makes i wonder if it, it, you know a bird or something a, a, or a a mouse you could say has a meaningful life right mm-hmm. i mean they're not capable of reflecting on their life right uh, right and so um it's it's the ability to take a, a philosophical position towards one's own one's own life that makes it even possible for a person's life to be meaningful i think mm-hmm. and somebody i don't know who it was said something like the unexamined life <laughs> it's not, not worth living right yeah i mean there's a lot to be said for that um also let's not downplay the the value um, that philosophy has for alienating people at cocktail parties, <laughs> family get-togethers, ruining holidays, um, you know. Um. <laughs> right, there's that. <laughs> I, I also think, you know, I mean, there are some really crucial human questions, and not just human questions, there are some really crucial questions about other beings um, and our moral obligations to them that I think you have to have, have philosophy to resolve. So, I mean, like, uh, the way that we treat non-human animals, for example, is that, like, if if there's something ethically wrong with that, which I think there obviously is, mm-hmm. then we are just all the time doing things that are terribly wrong. And if we're never reflective about that, then we just keep doing those things that are wrong. Or um, environmental questions, right? The kinds of things that have value, the kinds of things that we should be attempting to preserve, Um <laughs> You have to think philosophically about those to to like come to those realizations, and it matters. Like a lot of things that uh, about which you know philosophical reflection is crucial are things that are of fundamental importance. I think. Yeah, I think this is right for individuals as well as groups. So you know, socially, um, things are getting really thorny these mm. days, um, mm-hmm. and I think that the social epistemologists, for example, are going to play a key role in helping us work out how we all get along in ways that, that respect multiple viewpoints while still keeping an eye on truth, mm-hmm. reason, rationality, and, and all that. So, um, Doug, we're, we're happy to report um, philosophy, alive, well, kicking, and valuable. And we might be biased. And we might be biased. <laughs> and we might be right. <laughs> okay, well, that's a wrap. Episode 24 is in the can. Um, Season 3 is in the can. And once again, everything has come up Charbonneau. So we will be back in September with Season 4. Check our webpage for dates and we'll post topics as they emerge. Um, Again, if if you're enjoying this podcast and you have the opportunity, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your, your podcasts. And give us a rating. It um, it makes a, a big difference. And thank you very much for listening. Bye.